Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible. This is episode four. We've been walking through the book of Matthew. Uh, We've gone over Matthew 1, 2, and 3. So this week we are in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be in the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Last episode, we met John the Baptist, who proclaimed the message of repentance and preparation for the coming Messiah. The latter part of Matthew 3, if we were to have continued through the rest of chapter 3 last week, it told of Jesus coming to John, uh, being recognized as the Messiah. If we read this uh, story in the uh, Gospel of John, uh, John adds some details to this moment, uh, where when John sees Jesus, he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Matthew three sixteen and 17, uh, it's a great moment where we see the Godhead. We see Jesus being baptized, the Son. We see the Spirit coming down like a dove. And we see the Father vocalizing his approval. And here is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then here in the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus being led into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and is tempted by Satan. There are some big picture truths uh, before we get into the the details of of what we read here. There are some big picture picture truths that I want us to to pick up on and make sure that we understand from what uh, we are reading in the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4. And the first lesson is this. We have an enemy. I don't don't want us to be unaware or naive, but we have an enemy who is out to destroy us. We see him here in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus goes into the desert and he goes and he's fasting and he's being tempted by who Matthew calls the tempter. And we know that as Satan. 
as the devil. He is our enemy. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says this, says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Peter is wanting us to know, he's, he's wanting us to know that, you know, what we, we have to look out. Well, why do we have to look out? Well, he continues and he says, your adversary, your enemy, the one who is against you, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy. We cannot be naive and think we do not because we do. Here in Matthew, the term tempter is used. And that is the Greek word parosmo, which means to test with a view towards destruction or examining with the purpose of finding fault. And that is what he does. He wants to find fault in us. He wants to test us to destroy us. And that is temptation seeks to destroy us. Here's the thing. He doesn't play fair. John 10.10 tells us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We see in the book of Revelations chapter 12 verse 10 that he is called the accuser of the brethren. If we can view life or just our existence as a courtroom, we could view Satan as the one who is accusing us, the, the, the plaintiff, the one who is accusing us of whatever crime it is. We have an enemy. And here's the thing about Satan. We often contextualize the great battle of the ages as God versus Satan, right? We read stories on it, right? We see artwork that this is the great battle of the ages. It is God versus Satan. But in actuality, it is not God versus Satan. It is man versus Satan. You see, Satan is no match for God. And he knows that. And so he lowered the playing field and he attacked man. Adam and Eve, two perfect beings in the Garden of Eden, were attacked by the tempter and succumbed to the temptation. We lost. And mankind keeps on losing and losing. Mankind was intended to be the ruler of the world, but Satan came and stole that from Adam. That's why we read in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Jesus came and showed us what it looked like to win. And that's what we're going to get into here in Matthew chapter 4 is he shows us what it looks like to win. And we see that it's through the power of his word that he victored in that moment. So I want us to understand that, that we have an enemy. But I also want us to understand from this passage that temptations are personalized. Temptations are personalized. For Jesus, and we're going to dive into this a little bit later, but Jesus' temptations were temptations to take shortcuts to his purpose. What was his purpose? Well, it was to redeem mankind. And Satan came offering these three temptations, desiring for Jesus to fall through the desire to redeem mankind. 
And just so, temptations for each of us are things which will seemingly appeal to us. They will seem to match up with our desires, even good desires. James 1, 13 through 15 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The pattern that we see here in James is this. Temptation occurs when something that appeals to my natural desires is offered. And that desire is conceived through my acceptance of that desire being offered, which brings sin and ultimately death. Mankind's consistent capitulation to temptation is a sign of our fallen nature. You see, it's our desires that are conspiring against us. It is our nature that drives us towards sin. James says temptation happens when we are lured and enticed by our own desire. That is why we lose, because too often our desires are out of whack and we battle the nature of the old sinful man. But that's why we're able to see Jesus here in Matthew repel the attacks of the tempter. His desires were in line with the Father. His unfallen nature was in sync with the nature of the Father. And therein is the key for us to defeat temptation. It is for us to align our desires with the desires of our Father. It is for us to allow the Holy Spirit to perform His work of sanctification within our hearts to change our nature from one of sin to one of righteousness. So we have an enemy. Temptations are personalized. And here's another thing about temptation. Temptation can often be defined not all the time, but often can be defined as the enticement of a God-given desire outside of God-given bounds. We can't put a blanket statement on what we just read from James and say that sin happens when we are enticed by wrong desires because oftentimes we can be tempted by fulfilling right desires but doing so in wrong contexts. See, Adam was sinless. His desires were pure, but Satan used his pure desires. He distorted the context, and Adam fell. Jesus' temptations were temptations to achieve his right purpose, to redeem mankind, but the temptation was to achieve that purpose outside of God's design. And temptation is often, not always, but is often that for us. It's achieving good things in wrong ways or wrong contexts. Sex is good, but sex outside of God's design, which is within marriage, is sin. Providing for your family is good, but cheating, lying, or stealing to do that is sin. God delights in our pleasure, but pleasure within any activity outside of the bounds of God's design is sin. Speaking truth is desirable, but the temptation to speak truth tinged with hate or disdain is sin. So we can see that oftentimes temptation can come in as good desires, but in the wrong context. So I want us to understand that we have an enemy. I want us to understand that temptations are personalized, and that temptation can often be defined as the enticement of a God-given desire outside of God-given bounds. 
But I also want us to not miss the truth here of this passage that Jesus was tempted. And this is where the hope of this passage comes from in the fact that Jesus was tempted. Now this raises a question and we'll discuss it here for a moment. Was was the human nature of Jesus peckable nature or impeccable nature? And what I mean by that is peckability is the ability to sin. Impeccability is the lack of ability to sin. So the question that arises out of that out of this that Jesus was tempted was could Jesus have sinned? Is it possible that Jesus could have succumbed to any one of these three or any of the other temptations that I know we know he faced throughout his life here on earth? And, and there's there's two ways of looking at it, and I'm not going to really come down on either. Um, one, if if I say that Jesus could not sin, well, can we really say that he felt the pull of temptation if he did not have the capacity to succumb to it? But then if I say that Jesus could have sinned, well, does that, does that require a wedge to be inserted into his unified nature of fully God and fully man, right? Because he was fully man, so, you know, he must have had the capacity to sin, but he was fully God who, even what we read in James, tells us that he does not have the capacity to sin. Now, we could go on and on about this. This you know, There have been books and hours of debate on this subject, but here's what I want us to get out of this. It's important to remember, regardless of whether he could have or could have not, he did not. And that's what is important. The important thing is that Jesus did not sin. He remained and remains perfect and sinless. 1 Peter 2 verse 22 says this, He committed no sin, and deceit was not found in his mouth. 1 John 3 and 5 says, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. But one thing we do know from this, Jesus was tempted And it is in scripture that because he was tempted, he knows the pull temptation has on us. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. So the truth, the hopeful, wonderful truth that we can pull from these first 11 verses of Matthew 4 is that Jesus was tempted, and as a result, he knows what you and I experience when we have those moments where something is drawing us towards sin. He understands the pull that we feel. He understands the draw that it has on us, and thus, he is able to help us. You see, we look here in, in Matthew 4, and we see that he resisted temptation. He did not succumb. But everything that was thrown to him by Satan, he was able to repel by the word of God, and he came out of there sinless, just like he did the rest of his life. We often, we can see, see Jesus, and we see this often in the book of Hebrews, of Jesus being the second Adam. The first Adam failed to obey, but Jesus came as the second Adam, and he 
successfully obeyed God here on earth. You see, Adam turned from the Father in a garden, but Jesus turned to the Father in a garden. Adam substituted himself for God. Well, Jesus substituted himself for sinful man. Adam brought about thorns. Jesus wore a crown of thorns on our behalf. Adam was naked and was unashamed. Jesus was naked and bore our shame. Adam sinned at a tree. Jesus bore our sin on a tree. But what a beautiful moment and a beautiful hope this is that, that we see here in Matthew 4. Uh, Jesus did not sin. Jesus stayed sinless. Jesus remained and to this day remains the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. So those are just some big picture things I want us to grasp from this passage. We have an enemy. Temptations are personalized. Oftentimes temptation can come wrapped in a good desire, but it's in a wrong context. And Jesus was tempted. And because Jesus was tempted, he knows what we experience. But now, let's dive into what we actually read, the actual text of of Matthew here, of Matthew chapter chapter 4 and the temptations of Jesus. The first temptation we see that comes to Jesus uh, was the temptation to turn rocks into bread. Verse 2 through 4 says this, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) I think I would be too, right? And the tempter in that moment came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In this temptation, as well as the second temptation we see here in Matthew, we see Satan using the words, If you are. Some commentaries argue that if should be translated as since. The point being, Satan was not beginning the temptation with an attempt to make Jesus doubt his identity, but rather it was an attempt to bolster his argument for Jesus to do what was asked. He was saying, you have the power to do what I'm suggesting. You have the ability to perform these tasks. You have the capability to take the easy road to what you are here for. It brings an almost antagonistic aspect to what we are, uh, what we see happening here. You see, Jesus had just heard from the Father that he was well pleased with him, and now Satan is playing off of that. Satan is antagonizing Jesus based on his identity. Oh, you're the Son of God? Well, prove it. Then do this. It was a quest for Jesus to show himself to be the Messiah in a way that was not in the Father's design. We can see the same taunting spirit uh, at Jesus' crucifixion. In Matthew 27, uh, verse 40, someone in the crowd or the crowd is crying, If you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down off the cross. If you are the Son of God, then prove it. And that's what Satan was tempting Jesus here in this uh, temptation as well as the other two was, Hey, if you are who you say you are, then prove it. 
You see, Satan in this moment used Jesus' natural human weakness, hunger, along with an appeal to his all-powerful God nature in an attempt to make Jesus falter. Satan was tempting Jesus to use his messianic powers both to meet his personal needs, right? He was hungry, so turning rocks into bread would certainly have fulfilled a natural desire. But there is also a supernatural desire or a messianic desire uh, to this temptation. See, in Isaiah 58, 6 through 7, it's talking about some of the things that that the Messiah is going to do. And this passage is in there, again, Isaiah 58, where it says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Right? So there there is a temptation here to, to use, for Jesus to use his power to not only meet his personal needs, but to win men over by feeding them. By seemingly in this moment to even fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. Demonstrate your power, Satan is telling him, and you'll win people over. This was at the heart of all the temptations. But we see this temptation was defeated by trust in God's provision. It was defeated by trust in God's provision. He said, his, he said, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, naturally speaking, yes, trusting that the Father would strengthen and provide for his physical body was certainly an aspect to his response. But I think beyond that, uh, Jesus was showing that he was trusting that the Father was going to keep his word and provide a way for people's eyes to be opened to the fact that he was the Messiah. He was going to trust in God's plan, not make a plan for himself. You see, he points to the all-sufficiency of the Father, to what is really important. Are are the temporal, material requirements of this world paramount to feasting on the very words of God? No. Man truly does live in the eternal sense of the word by dwelling on the words of God. Jesus kept the right perspective. He he did not allow the demands of the temporal, right? He was hungry. He had just fasted for 40 days. He did not allow the demands of the temporal to engulf the gravity of the eternal. He did not allow the demands of the temporal, his hunger, to overtake the needs of the eternal, right? He was here with an eternal purpose. He has come to seek and to save the lost. He came to die on the cross and rise again so that we might be saved. He kept the eternal perspective in mind. The temporal right now need was not as important as the eternal need. What about the second temptation? second temptation we read here in Matthew 4 is the temptation to jump off the temple. Verse 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Right? Back to that sense. Or, you know, since you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Now, at face value, it may kind of seem just like a suicidal temptation. Was Satan tempting Jesus with suicide? No. Satan was tempting Jesus to win people over by quickly performing a miracle, jumping off and floating into the temple. And again, this would match up with Jewish tradition that the Messiah would appear suddenly in the temple. This is according to Malachi 3 and 1, where it says, The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So we can imagine that this was probably the the morning hours, potentially, standing on top of this temple. And Jesus, all we had to do was jump off and float down in the middle of all the worshipers, in the middle of all the priests. And immediately he would be received as the Messiah because they would notice, they would recognize this moment based on what they were expecting. Jesus knew of Israel's current and coming rejection of his messiahship. And so the temptation was to perform a miracle in such a way that they wouldn't reject him. Appear suddenly in this way, appear in the way that they were expecting, not in the way God desired, and Israel will have no choice but to receive him. But that wasn't the Father's way. The Father had the whole world in mind, not just Israel. His messiahship would be demonstrated by his death and subsequent resurrection. We see that in Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus again used the Word of God to uh, defeat this temptation. He overcame by absolute submission and obedience to the Father. So he overcame temptation one through trusting in God's provision. He overcame temptation two by absolute submission and obedience to the Father. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Satan used scripture in his attempt to destroy Jesus, but he was misapplying it. Misapplied scripture is dangerous. Misapplied scripture is sinful. But Jesus, he appropriately applied scripture to maintain his absolute obedience to the Father. Now the third temptation. The temptation of seeing the kingdoms of the world. Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now there's a lot of questions that come out of this temptation. There's a lot of, could be this, could be that, out of this temptation. Did Satan really have these kingdoms to offer? How do we reconcile this with God being the owner of it all, right? We, we read in scripture that, you know, he's the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, meaning he owns everything. So how do we reconcile this? What role does Satan play in the world? Well, we read, we read in 1 John five nineteen, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We read in John twelve thirty one, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Satan is named the God of this world. You see, at the fall, 
Satan took the place of dominion that was given to man. Adam was originally given the place of dominion over the creation. But then Satan came and he stole it from him. And so this temptation, it was a temptation to take the easy way out. You don't have to suffer and die, Jesus. You just have to worship me and what you're purchasing with your blood can be yours. Satan showed him exactly what Jesus came to save. See, Jesus, there doesn't have to be the agony in the garden. There doesn't have to be the humiliation of ridicule. There doesn't have to be the torment at the whipping post. There doesn't have to be the trek to Golgotha. There doesn't have to be the misery of being hung by nails onto the cross. There doesn't have to be the shame of nakedness and sin on your shoulders. Take the easy way out. That was the temptation. Look how Jesus overcame. Jesus overcame this temptation with a biblical appropriation of worship. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, there is only one worthy of worship, only one deserving of that offering. There is only one holy and righteous. Jesus knew that and demonstrated that here with his use of scripture. And that helps us because when our worship is directed the right way, it keeps us from being distracted with the offerings of this world. Here was Jesus being offered all the kingdoms of the world. But his eyes were on the Father. His eyes were on the Father. That's attributing worth. That is worship. Our eyes should be on Jesus. And if our eyes are on Jesus... All the the pleasures and the splendor and the wonder of this world and the things of this world, as the song, the old song says, will go strangely dim because we're looking in the light of his wonderful face. We're looking in the light of his grace. So turn our eyes to Jesus. Jesus, in this moment, he turned his eyes to the Father. He, He appropriated worship correctly. Satan was, hey, worship me. And Jesus said, no, there's only one worthy of worship. So for us, we keep our eyes on the prize. Hebrews chapter 12, right, says, keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We properly attribute our worship to the right being, and that is Jesus. And our eyes will be directed the right way. And the distractions and the splendor and the glory, seemingly, of this world will all fade away. So what's our takeaway? We see here three areas in which Jesus was tempted and three ways in which we are tempted. Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread It was a temptation of trust. Do you trust that God has your best interest in mind? Do you trust that God will provide for you? Do you trust that God knows what he's doing? It was a temptation of obedience. 
Jesus, this is going to be really easy. Just jump off the temple, just float right in there, and, and they'll see you as the Messiah. But no, he obeyed the Father. He knew the Father's plan, and he submitted to it. He obeyed. He submitted in obedience. Worship me, Satan tempted, and I'll give you everything that you've come here to save. You've come here to redeem mankind. Well, here it is. I'm giving it to you on the silver platter. All you have to do is worship me. No, Jesus said, there is only one worthy of worship. We'll be tempted in all three of these areas. We'll be tempted to not trust in God and trust in something else. Trust in ourselves, trust in wealth, trust in fill in the blank. But trust in God. We'll be tempted not to obey his word because sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes we think we know better. Sometimes we think we understand better. But we realize we don't. And so we have to submit and obey. We're going to be tempted to attribute our worship to other things, to, to wealth and to busyness and so many things in this world that take our attention away from Jesus. But trust in Jesus. Obey Jesus. Worship Jesus. You see, temptation does not leave us hopeless. Sometimes it can feel as such, but temptation it does not. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not alone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Guys, that's a promise. That is a promise from God. Hold on to that. Now, there are moments of temptation where you don't feel that there's a way of an escape. Look harder. Look up. It's a promise that every temptation, there will be a way of escape. There's two words for temptation used in Scripture. One is dokimazo, to test with a view towards strengthening. Now, this is the testing that comes from God. This is the testing that produces strength. It's testing as, as in the testing something by fire. The fire reveals the true metal and purifies it. We can see this usage in James 1 and 3. And then there's the word we talked about here already. It's parosmo. It's to test with a view towards destruction, examining you with the purpose of finding fault. That's what temptation does. It seeks to destroy you. It seeks to kill you. But guys, we're not alone. I've already read 1 Corinthians 10 through 13 where you know it talks about there's no temptation that's taken over us that doesn't have a way of escape. But we also have a helper. The Holy Spirit was sent to help us. The Holy Spirit was sent to guide us. The Holy Spirit was sent to convict us of truth and convict us of righteousness, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit lives within us. So here's my prayer for us all, right? We understand Jesus here was tempted in his areas of trust, obedience, and worship. We're going to be tempted in the same way, in trust, obedience, and worship. And the fact remains that we can't do it on ourself, by ourselves. That's what his 
history shows. That's what scripture shows. That is what experience shows. That we do not have the capacity to resist temptation in and of ourselves. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit working through us and working in us that allows us to overcome temptation. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us to trust in the Father. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to walk in complete submission and obedience to our Lord and Savior. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us direct our worship properly to God. So that's my prayer, that we would understand that we have an enemy. We would understand that Jesus was tempted and so he can help us. We have a high priest sitting at the right hand of God who understands what we've been through. He understands what we go through. He understands the pool of temptation. And so he can help us. And the Holy Spirit is in our hearts to help us, to help us live this life for Jesus. We don't have to succumb to temptation. We don't have to fall every time temptation comes our way. We don't have to because the Holy Spirit helps us and he's living in us and he's living through us. So Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, to the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Help us to lean on you in those moments where we are weak, when temptation comes and it's going to come, and it pulls at our heart, it pulls at our desires, it pulls at seemingly everything within us. Holy Spirit, be our strength. Holy Spirit, use us and help us in those moments because, God, we want to be pleasing in everything that we say, everything that we do. Father, we want to please you. Father, we want to please you with the way we live our lives. May we do so with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening. I really hope that uh, this is being uh, this is helpful for you. This is fruitful for you. I pray for you, everyone who listens to this. I pray for you. I pray that again. God is going to add his blessings to his word. His word does not return void. He's going to accomplish his purpose within us. Subscribe, rate, share. I would really appreciate it, guys. God bless.